welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we left off last time uh, with a kind of exciting announcement that we've known for a while, but we haven't shared with our listeners, namely that we're writing a book. Uh, that's right. And not only that, but we promised that uh, we would talk uh, just a little bit about the book, but more that we would share some of the, uh, begin sharing some of the content, and in particular, the solutions to problems we've been talking about in our recent series about how to undermine your team. And we're going to give people some alternatives so they don't have to undermine them. Yeah, that would be great if we could not undermine our team. If for five weeks we've been saying how great it would be to undermine your team, it's nice to, to not have to say that anymore. <laughs> That's right. But before we get into that, tell people about the, the book that we have and the kind of content we're going to have. Absolutely. So we haven't got a title yet. Uh, we're agreeing a contract with a publisher. We'll be able to announce stuff about that soon. But the overall thesis of the book is that actually if what you're doing is adopting practices and timing your stand-ups appropriately and adopting the right framework and so on, you're, you're doing Agile wrong. You're, you're, you haven't got the right idea. <laughs> and the, the key idea is all those things are great. We should definitely do all those things. But the key thing to have is some conversations. And we identify identify a set of conversations that we think are crucial. And if you have those conversations, and if you have them successfully, it really doesn't matter whether you use Kanban or Scrum or Safe or XP or something you made up yourself. You're going to have a much more successful Agile project or, or team. And we also give some very specific techniques, things that you can write down on a piece of paper and that have very specific step-by-step -step instructions. I always find that developers really like this, um, and it certainly appeals to the, the developer in me that if I have step-by-step -step instructions for how to get something done, I'm much more likely to be successful. So we have those techniques that we've developed and learned about over many years that help you to have those successful conversations. That's right. And not to uh, go on about that too long, we do in intend to actually get into applying that tonight, and we're really getting to one of the foundational points that we uh, need to have one of those kind of conversations is one about where we build trust with people. And that's the one we want to start with. And in fact, that's where we started the book. It's the first chat, first main chapter is all about having a conversation that helps you to build trust. And that seems a little strange if you're thinking, gosh, well, I, I better like go deliver some software first. <laughs> but actually having a conversation to build trust could be the very best thing you could do and has nothing to do with typing or uh, object-oriented programming or unit tests. Yeah, and I remember way, way back in the early days of Agile, I came across this great quote from Brad Appleton that said, the first thing to build is trust. And I found that um, on an email signature from Alistair Coburn. And at the time, it really struck me, and I wrote it down and, and have referenced it many times since. And we found a blog post by him. Yeah, you know, that, exactly. That'll be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that he actually describes what he meant. Yeah, so some years later, it uh, came out uh, what he had in mind and uh, in particular, I thought it was interesting The early on in Agile, there was so much focus on techniques and practices, especially with the influence of XP. Um, it was about pair programming and TDD and things like that. And all that's important. But uh, the, the question really is, is this idea of the first thing we do is build trust among the team uh, seemed a bit counter to that, but fit really well with my experience. And ultimately, the goal here is to get to psychological safety which is uh, Amy Edmondson's notion, again, link in the show notes, and the one that Google investigated and found was the number one contributor to successful teams of any kind. And that is the, the idea that the team is a safe place where you can take risks. And that's something we, we look at as being the 
outcome of, of building trust of the type that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So if that's if we, we want trust, how do we get started? That sounds great. Let's start building it. What are the building blocks? Well, so I'm going to suggest we take a slight detour, and uh, I promise that we'll bring it back to trust soon. It's actually a way of defining trust that I've found very helpful, which is to start talking about stories. So I hope the listeners don't mind if we go on a, a little detour. There's this theory I have, and I'm not the only one who has it. The theory is that people have stories, that there's a story you're telling yourself all the time and actually a number of different stories. So I remember, and you know this person as well, Jeffrey, in in my early days at the job of being a CTO, I had somebody in my team, uh, somebody I was collaborating with, who had the story, and I'm sure all our listeners have met this kind of person before. The story was all about how this person had climbed the mountain himself. He had done it all himself. He didn't need any help from anybody else, and he was the victorious hero. And that was a very coherent story that made sense, and he kind of uh, arranged the world around him so that the things matched that story. And I also have observed other kinds of stories. So there are developers who have the belief that they're, they're just downtrodden. And, you know, it's just those, those folks in suits upstairs, they tell them what to do. It's just hopeless. You know, you can never beat the man. So we just do whatever people tell us to do. Or you can have a team who has the story. Uh, the business people always tell us a whole bunch of crazy stuff to do. We always ignore them and it all works out fine. That's the story. Um, they usually have that story until they get fired. So um, <laughs> you, you can have a group who has a story. You can have a person who has a story. It usually features yourself or your team as the protagonist. It's usually about yourself or about somebody you interact with. And the key thing about it is it predicts both your own behavior and the other people's behavior. So if your story is those folks are always giving us rubbish things to do, then whenever somebody gives you something to do, you fit it into the story and you think, how this is probably another of those rubbish things. And you act as if another rubbish thing is coming. You're like, oh yeah, here's another of those dumb stories from marketing. Okay, we're, we're definitely not going to do this one. Right. So this is very much like the idea that the collection of stories have about themselves and others becomes the lens by which they see the world. Exactly. And people who are paying attention will pick this up from earlier uh, podcast episodes where we've talked about uh, lots of cognitive biases that, that reinforce this notion that you, you have a story that's going and you're, you're fitting the rest of the world into it. Now, I'm going to bring this back to trust, but I think, Jeffrey, you have a particularly good example uh, that you were telling me about that comes from an old blog post of yours. Oh, right. And it really is the idea of how we can somehow get a bit out of these stories, um, which is to recognize them for what they are. And that, in fact, not only can we recognize them for what they are, but we can actually put them into words and share with other people what these are. But it's it's very hard. It's, it's, it's very rare. Of course, we'll, we'll put a link to this blog post in the show notes. But really, what it's um, referring to was an article by Bernie Brown called How to Reckon with Emotion and Change Your Narrative. And you see there, that idea of the narrative, she's um, talking about this idea of the story, that we have a story that we're telling ourselves and that we're making up during an interaction. And it really resonated with me because it, in it, it is a great exchange between uh, she and her husband, where her husband opens the refrigerator and says, oh, we have no groceries, not even lunch meat. And Brene immediately shoots back, I'm doing the best I can. You can shop too. And <laughs> you, you, you can see this immediate conflict between them. And just the two statements just tell the whole story. It's, it's amazing. How it's, you know, <laughs> Dr. David Burns say this, says this as well. You can just get two sentences and it tells you everything that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. You'd love to do the interpersonal relationship journal there. But then her husband does something amazing, which he says, uh, yeah, I know. 
I do it every week. What's going on? He understands that there's a story behind what's being said. He could sense that the reaction wasn't really what he was expecting and that must be sort of a misalignment of stories. And then mm -hmm. Bernay comes back and, and uses this great phrase, the story I'm making up. And I love that phrase because it, it makes that separation between the idea that, that my story is reality versus something I'm creating. And, and she says, the story I'm making up is that you were blaming me for not having groceries that I was screwing up. And now that kind of explains right there the exchange we saw between them. And you can see how where if that's not what Steve had in mind. He wasn't, he wasn't saying that she was screwing up. He was just sort of uh, sighing about life, but she took it as an attack. She had this story that she made up. And she fit Steve's statement into that story. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I imagine if we replace the word groceries with features, we could all imagine that kind of conversation <laughs> happening with people who want to build things. We have no features. Yeah. Not even a user interface. Yeah, that's or right. something like that. We're, we don't even have a green button. How can that be? Yeah. How can it be? <laughs> and if we contrast this, and this is where we can tie it back to the previous series where we told people we're going to help them in how to feel by acting unilaterally. Part one, we talked about people being stuck with the idea that that I see the world as it is. I see the situation as it is and others do not. And we, we talked about this as being naive realism and a link to both of these in the show notes. This idea to be able to say, hey, look, actually I'm making up a story. If you can develop that skill, then you begin to open up much better possibilities and you're less likely to fall into that trap of, of, of acting unilaterally. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to get into the, the technique that you use to build trust, but we still haven't quite said how trust has anything to do with stories. That's right. And I, and I think it goes to the part of the question is we use the word trust very casually, but I, I know from talking about this with the people that it's not always clear what does it mean when, when we say we trust someone. In, in fact, is that even always positive? Like in a sense, the stories you were telling before, what, you know, we can always trust those jerks to give us, you know, ridiculous stories. <laughs> that, that's mm -hmm. that's a type of trust, right? I mean, I'm I'm saying I can predict their behavior, and I I trust that they'll act the way that I expect. That doesn't necessarily sound like a good thing. How how is that helpful? But I have a reliable story, and it helps me to to guide my day to day activities. If it really were true that they were out to get us and and give us dumb stories, and we're trying to sabotage our team, that that would be a useful story to have because I could predict what their next evil move was. Mm -hmm. the The problem is it it doesn't tend to lead to very much teamwork or collaboration or belief that the other person has positive motives. If you don't want any of those things, then um, we have a whole series just we just finished on on how to undermine <laughs> your team. That so we, lots of techniques for doing that. But if the story is one that's very negative, it may lead to trust, but trust that doesn't actually help you. The kind of trust that we're looking for here is a trust of aligned stories, where the story you're telling yourself and the story I'm telling myself are both discussable. They're they're things that we know about each other and they are aligned somehow they they match up so to take the example of we don't have any features the aligned story that you could get to would be one where the people who are concerned about there not being any features know that the team is understaffed and that that's part of their story and they say this team's understaffed they're working very hard uh, I've got a team that has exactly this situation, one of my clients, where we've helped to align the stories some, there's still more to do, but the, the folks who are waiting for features know that the team is working as hard as it can on something that's kind of under the, under the water, not so visible, mm -hmm. and therefore they aren't going to get stuff they can see. 
and the developers know that whenever they can get something that's a little pokes up a little out of the water, they they really try to do it. So that's where their stories have moved closer together from where they started, which was much more the we don't get any features, nobody does anything around here. <laughs> no, that that was the original story. So. That's where doing things like delivering valuable software can be helpful for building the trust, but just turning up and handing it over and running away again doesn't help. You need the conversation to go with it. So to bring it all together, what we're, what we're saying here is that trust is a predictable story, a reliable story that actually predicts the world. Positive trust, the aligned stories, is one where your story and my story match up and we're able to believe that there's something positive happening. And that unlocks so much cooperation and collaboration all across the board. Hmm. One thing I often ask people about sort of related to, you know, what does it mean to have trust, but is sort of what does it mean to, to be on the same team? What I often tell people, my functional definition is that a team are people who share a problem. And it's it's very similar in the sense that those people they they agree their stories are aligned that the situation exists perhaps that you know we have no features yep we we agree on that and uh, and what they want to do about it so they're trying to solve that together and that's kind of becomes the basis of the cooperation because now we want the same thing. So, for example, if we're making estimates of stories and um, you and I are working on the same team to come up with good estimates, if we have aligned stories, if we have psychological safety, if we're feeling that we're on the same team, then I may be able to say something to you that's kind of risky, like, Jeffrey, that story you just proposed, I think it's stupid. I don't think we should build it. Hmm. And if if I have that trust, if our stories are similar, if I believe that we have a similar goal of achieving value for the customer or uh, completing a certain large feature by a certain date or something like that. I will have trust, our stories will be aligned, and I will feel comfortable in saying, hey, hang on, as part of our larger goal, I think actually this one may not make sense. And that's going to lead to a much better estimation discussion than if I just pull out my planning poker card and say eight. <laughs> <laughs> or even worse, if someone says eight, when someone else says five, they're like, okay, fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. then, yes. No, that's fine. No, we'll just go with that. We'll just, we'll go with what you said and then hide their internal story. Which could be, actually, this isn't useful to do at all. That would be a much more useful discussion to have, but you need the psychological safety and the psychological safety comes from having a shared set of stories. This sounds great. I want that. What was it that we need to do? <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, there's a whole bunch of different things you can do. We're going to talk next time because we're out of time for today. We got talking about stories. Sorry, but Jeffrey and I are storytellers. So you can't stop us. But next time we're going to talk about a very specific technique that you can use. It's one of these step-by-step -step things. You can write it down on a piece of paper, do step one, step two, step three. And it's called the ladder of inference. And it's a particular method for precisely aligning your stories. The thing you have to be ready for, of course, is that your story may not match the other person's. You may need to move your story. So it's not one about moving their story to yours. It's about meeting in the middle. Oh, I see. So aligning stories is not about just, you know, shifting the people to believe what you believe. That's correct. That that was our previous series. As oh, we that's keep right. Saying. That's, that's, that's right. you. That's you and a lateral action. See, we have, we have to get ourselves out of that habit now, Jeffrey. So we have to get back to, to mutual learning. That's right. And I'll just give a little taster, which is that for those of you who have done test-driven development, you'll remember that nice feeling that you get when you get a, a series of greens or even reds. But you're you're running the tests, and every few seconds you're getting that little dopamine hit of, yep, I'm on track. I'm doing the right. Oh, wait a minute, I'm off track, and now I need to fix. Okay, now I'm back on track, and I'm doing the next thing, and you feel very safe and comfortable. 
uh, one thing about the ladder of inference method is that it gives you exactly that same kind of feeling as you're having a difficult conversation with someone. It's really magic. And that's why I like to call it test-driven development for people. <laughs> Agile developers out there who hear that, that's going to sound really good. Let's uh, let's take a concept that I'm familiar with and, and apply it to these bags of meat that are so weird and, and hard to work with. <laughs> exactly. And they're not all black and white and zeros and ones. It's very confusing. Anyway, so we're going to cover that next time. So please come back to next week's podcast. And we promise we'll be giving you lots of very specific methods for building trust via the ladder of inference. Of course, I've always, always loved to hear people's uh, questions and your own stories. If someone did have a situation where they were having trouble building trust, uh, how could they get in touch with us, girl? Well, they'd go to troubleshootingagile.com and they'd click the now much bigger link that says write to us because we're really keen to hear from you. And we will uh, certainly incorporate any feedback that we get into future podcasts, including if you have a story about how you'd like to build trust and you're having trouble, that could feature in next week's podcast. So please do write to us. And by the way, if you want to make sure you get next week's podcast, you can just click that nice subscribe link in your favorite podcast service of choice and you'll get a notice every week when we come out on a, on Wednesday usually with uh, next week's podcast. All right. That sounds great. Um, and I can't wait to get into specifics next time and uh, hopefully we get some good questions from listeners. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Will. Well.